0: Everybody say chesed. <laughs> say chesed. I'm not saying it quite right because my uh, is, I'm working on it. Chesed is, is actually chesed because it's a chet is the first letter. Jeremiah 2.2, 2, that, that word underlined kindness is actually chesed. This is an important word for us. I encourage you. To get into it a little bit, because this is one of the most dramatic statements that we're going to see God make in the Bible. He tells us exactly what His heart is longing for in Jeremiah 2:2, and it's kessed. He wants kessed. He is actually kessed, which is love in action. That's one way you can define it. There's, it's it's bigger, much bigger than that. But love in action. Okay, so listen to this, Jeremiah 2:2. Holy Spirit, would you come thunder in this room? Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the heck, the chesed of your youth, the love of your betrothal when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not so. This is what's on the Lord's heart for Israel. Not just Israel, you're grafted in. This is what's on the Lord's heart for you too. He wants your kindness towards him. He wants your love in action towards him. He doesn't need anything that you can't produce. He doesn't need any of your works. He doesn't need any of your striving, any of your effort, any of your perfection. He doesn't need any of you trying to be holy. He just wants your chesed. This is what he says to Israel. When you went after me, when you wanted me, I remember it. I remember the kindness before the land was sown, before you even knew what was going to grow, before any other possibility was before you. I remember the way you wanted me. I just want you. That's what he would say. I just want you to want me. It's a cheap trick song, but it's real. It's in the human heart. Don't get lost in the fact that it's a cheap trick song. That's a cheap trick. That's about a girl and a guy. This is real. This is how God feels. He just wants us to want him, okay? God doesn't want to be alone. That's kess. That's what that means. He doesn't want to be alone. If he wanted to be alone, he wouldn't have made anybody. He likes you. He likes people. He likes his enemies. He likes your enemies. He really likes you. This is good news. It's not based on what you do. He did everything before you did anything. He doesn't want to be alone. The Lord gives the spirit so that we can be with him, so we can watch with him. Everybody say watch. This is the last message of five about how to practically give your life to Yeshua. You want to practically give your life to Yeshua? Just hang out with him and watch with him. Look at what's going on around you. It's very easy in your devotional time, whatever that devotional time is, whether it's in the evening, in the morning, while you're driving to work, while you're driving to school, while you're wasting time. A lot of people, a lot of us find devotional time when we actually want to be distracted from the things that we have to do. That's okay. That's okay. You want to learn to give him more, but whatever you're giving him, he likes. And if you're a parent, you would know what I'm talking about. He wants the hasset, he wants you to just want him, and you do. You do. This is a good news message. This is a breaking of yokes, this is taking off heavy burdens. Okay? So he gives us a spirit so we can watch with him. So practically, just try to see your life with him. Just try to see the world around you with him. Just try to, before you tell him what you think you want, try to find out what he wants. Just ask him, what do you want? You might not hear it right away, but you will hear it. I guarantee it. Because this is what he's saying to Israel. He's like, I remember when you didn't know what to even ask for. You just wanted me. That's where we started, when you just wanted me. And somehow you've gotten off track because I've done things in your life. You've started to think, okay, you got to do this next, God, and we got to do this next, God. But he's like, it all started with just you wanting me and me wanting you. John 17, 21 to 26, just before the cross, just before the Garden of Gethsemane, this was what's on Jesus' heart just before he cried and sweated tears of blood, just before he said to the Father, God, is there any other way? This is what he said that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I've given them. Is that, is that future or past? Past. This is important. They hadn't really done anything good yet. They, they hadn't gone in the upper room yet. They hadn't gotten the spirit poured out on them yet. They hadn't preached and seen thousands get healed. They had actually tried very hard to see one guy get healed, and they are like, we can't do it. And Jesus came and did it and said, prayer and fasting is what drives this kind out. But he had already given them his glory. Listen to this. That they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you've sent me and have loved them as you've loved me. Father, this is what I want. Guess it. I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you've given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I've known you, and these have known that that you sent me. And I've declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Now listen, a prophetically anointed people, what that means is people that have a grace on their lives just because they asked for it to wait to hear God. A prophetically anointed people, those filled with understanding of what the Lord's doing in real time, is the only witness the Father will use to say. There's no other witness God's looking for on the earth than a prophetically anointed people that just know what he's saying and declare it in their generation. That's all he's looking for. He'll do all of the saving. He'll do all the orchestrating of circumstances. He'll put you before the right people if you know what to say. Now, you can put yourself in a ton of places not knowing what to say and become a false witness. Even though you know all the Bible verses, even though you know what everybody else thinks you should say, you could be in front of all the right places that you thought were the good things to do, say all the things that the Bible says, and still be a false witness. Who else is like that? That's what Satan did. Satan took Bible passage and twisted them at just the right time to put people off course because he had something in his heart that he wanted other than what God wanted. If you could just want what God wants, he'll do all the rest. He'll do all the rest. But we have so many wants that we're trying to marry to lives that please God. The wants have to die. That's what it means when it says if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. If you're willing to lose your life, you'll find it. All of the things that we really want, the deep, rooted, sub, I just, I just picture subroutines in my computer. Like I type something, something happens on Google, but there's something going on in that box that I don't really understand. The subroutines of the way that we're made, if we could see them, we'd see all of our wants, they're actually rooted in something that God wants even more than we do. And if we could just give the Hassid to him, we'd find not only would he be pleased, we'd actually be pleased too and free. And you know you do this when you're free, when you, when you run to him feeling loved and confident, and nothing needs to change for you to just breathe and be with him and enjoy your day. That's how you know. That's how you know. You feel clean. Okay? So a prophetically anointed people, those filled with understanding of what the Lord's doing in real time is the only witness that the Father uses to save. And in the end, that will be clear. Right now it's a little bit muddy because there's a ton of people all saying what they think God wants. But in the end, it will be those who are prophetically anointed. They'll be the only truth left standing. And you want to be in that one. We mostly waste our lives trying to give God something he doesn't want, our striving and self-saving. We hide this, though, in good intentions to help God. Well, you know, I'm a little bit selfish, but I'm really trying to be unselfish for God. And so I do this thing. All of that is empty. It's vanity. The better thing would be to say, God, I'm so selfish. I just want to spend time with you. Will you change my selfishness? And then you would definitely go do th- something. But then it would be out of an overflow of what God did, not out of an attempt to save yourself for God. Does that make sense? So we mostly, though, all of us, not, this is not people that don't get it. That's everybody. We hide our self-saving and our striving and good intentions to help God. God needs zero help. God wants those who watch him and watch with him. You can't watch with him if you don't watch him. It's like a little kid and a dad, and like I just remember taking my kids hunting. And like if they would watch what I'm doing, then we could watch together and do something together. But if they won't watch what I'm doing, we're doing two separate things, and they can't learn anything. So we have to be a people. We watch him and then watch with him. God, I see this happening. What's your emotion? What do you think about that? I see this. This person said this to me. God, what, when they said it to me, what did you feel? Okay, now let's look at that together. Does that make sense? This will change everything about our lives, and it will actually really satisfy us and satisfy God, which is much more important, actually, because we're not our own. We didn't make us. He made us. He made us. God needs no help. He wants us to watch the Matthew 26, 36 to 41. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful And deeply distressed. Now, if they would have watched him, they would have watched with him. They didn't watch him. They thought they knew what he wanted. They actually said it earlier in the evening I'm ready to die with you. And then they're looking at him go over, and Peter and the others go with him, but they aren't seeing his heart. They're mostly thinking about how they can help him. If you look at the whole story, Peter thinks, I can help this man by getting my sword ready. They weren't watching him. We need to be watching him right now. What does he want? Whatever he wants is best for our lives, I guarantee it. And it would have been better for Peter, too. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. So it wasn't that he wasn't even, it wasn't like they had to kind of get the hints of his personality, look at the, his eyes. He's telling them directly, This is what I want, this is what I'm feeling. But they had to humble what they wanted, what they were feeling in order to just be with him in that so that they could go forward successfully with him, seeing the events that were about to come. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples. Do you know if Peter would have heard him say this? If Peter would have heard Jesus say, let this cup pass from me. And he heard the words, but his heart didn't hear Jesus he would have felt ashamed that he had just told Jesus, I'm ready to die with you. If he would have heard Jesus say, I'm not ready, God. I don't know. I don't, I don't think I want this thing. Peter would have been humbled in thinking erroneously that he wanted it. You see what I'm saying? But he just, he was, they were disconnected. They weren't chastened. They weren't in the same place together, even though they were occupying the same space. And Jesus mercifully kept them with him and kept bringing them in. And he's, he does that forever. He's In fact, it says, those that take the mark of the beast and suffer torment, he's with them forever. He watches their torment forever, according to Revelation 14. He's always... I mean, that will always be true, because he made us. He'll never not have made us. He'll never not want us. It's just we don't want him. That's what hell is, actually. Oh, Father, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not it with me one hour? Could you not watch with me one hour? Now, that's not the word hasten, but that's what he's saying. He's saying, couldn't you be with me for one hour? Couldn't you just put aside what you're feeling, what you think I want from you for an hour, and just be with me? Just be with me. Watch with me. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, he's not counting Peter out, obviously. He restores him after the resurrection. He would say the same thing to me. He would say the same thing to you. Look, forget what's behind you, but let's go forward. Like, don't get into condemnation. Don't get into, okay, this is why my life is this way, or this is why my relationship with God is this way. That's not true, actually. Your relationship with God is a blessing. It's not a problem. If you think your relationship with God is a problem because of what you did, you don't know anything about this, just tell him, I don't know anything about this, because I've been thinking my relationship with you is a problem because of what I'm doing. Your relationship with God is a blessing. If you have one at all, it is an incredible blessing. It's not a problem. It's not a problem to be fixed, right? It's something to go forward into. I just break that off of you in the name of Jesus. Your relationship with God is not a problem to be fixed. If it wasn't for him, you wouldn't have it. He's good. He knows what he's doing. Jesus defined prayer as a two-way conversation. When we pray at God instead of with God, we're not really praying in agreement with following Jesus, living in the glory he's given. So I want you to go up to that verse 24 of John 17, and see, or verse 22, and see, the glory which you gave me I've given them, that they may be one just as we are one. And then go back down here and look at this statement. When we pray at God, that's what, that's what the disciples were doing just before the Garden of Gethsemane. They were, tell, they were talking to God. But they weren't listening to him. They were just telling him, I'm ready to die with you. I'm not, not going not to stumble. What are you talking about? They're telling God something. but They're not listening to God. When we pray, we still talk to Jesus just like those guys did. He said, it's better for you if I go. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He'll tell you everything. He'll remind you what I told you. He'll take you into more things as you need them. This isn't a less expression of prayer than those guys enjoyed face-to-face with Jesus. This is more. This is more of an expression of prayer. We want to hear him more, not less. We, want to, we, don't, we don't want to just fall back to the lowest common denominator of prayer, which is, I'll just tell you on the fly, I'll blow you kisses of what I want and keep going where I'm going, doing what I'm doing. He actually would rather you didn't know what to pray and you just sat with him and gave him the hassid that he wants. Does that make sense? So Jesus defined prayer as a two-way conversation. When we pray at God instead of with God, we're not really praying in agreement with following Jesus, living in the glory he's given or being the witness that he saves through. So the first people that got Saved or brought into the family of God through the gospel, through the preaching by the Holy Spirit. That's the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not preaching. The Great Commission is not teaching. The Great Commission is prophetically declaring good news, tidings of, of glad things. It's prophetic. And the very first people that got saved are in Acts 2. 3,000 got saved at the preaching, the prophetic preaching, the hesed preaching of Peter. That's what Acts 2 was about. That's what the upper room, getting in one accord was about. That's what this place is about. It's about getting in one accord, not with each other, chesed with God. And if we all did that, if we're all hanging out on Jesus' left, then we're all hanging out real close to each other. That is the point. That's how we know we're cheseding with God is when I hear something I wasn't thinking that God is saying, and I'm like, yeah, that's right. Or I hear something that I wasn't thinking, that somebody thinks God is saying, and I'm like, God, is that what you're saying? And he's like, not really, but they're trying, right? There's all kinds of expressions of maturity in this. And when we learn to be like God, God doesn't cast us off when we make a mistake. He actually brings us closer. He's like, I like the Hesed. That's what I like. That's what I'm going for, right? We're just, we see it different because we see God a little bit wrong. Joel 2, 28 to 32. So, this witness is the only one that God will use to save because God is the one saving, not us. He's, he never asked us to go save people. He never asked us to go make disciples except for disciples of these things. What's these things? You can't live without the Holy Spirit. You can't live without me. You can't live without the Hasid. That's these things. So you can't just go make disciples of anything. You have to make disciples of these things, of the gospel, the good news. God, he sent his son to pay the price for the disconnection from God so we could get reconnected to God. He sent his son for the Hesed, for the connection, right? That's what we're preaching. And this is, this is consistent throughout the Bible. You will never see a group of people in the Bible get saved by logic. You will never see them get saved by a good presentation of some facts. You will always see them get saved by the Holy Spirit moving and doing something man can't do. Okay, so Joel 2, 28 to 32. And it shall come to pass afterward, after what? This is Joel two twenty eight to 32. After what? Gathering together, repentance. You guys are saying all the right answers. Yep. After the prayer meeting, right? He's saying, after you rend your heart and not your garments, after you gather together, after you put aside all the stuff you're doing and hested with me for a while, I'll pour out my spirit. I'll pour out my spirit. Afterward, it will come to pass that afterward I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and my maid servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness. Now, I would just like to call your attention to the eclipses. 2017, the sun went this way across America. 2024, the sun's going this way across America. With an X marks a spot in the middle of America. The sun is dark. <laughs> the sun is dark. Have you seen all the smoke? Like pictures of New York City last summer. Like you could barely make out the buildings in the middle of the day. <laughs> the sun is dark. Blood and smoke and pillars of fire. Do you think there's blood on the earth? Yes, there's blood. Is there smoke? Yes, there's smoke. Pillars of fire? Yes. The Holy Spirit is present for sure, right? He's trying to tell us something you see pillars of fire. blood and fire and pillars of smoke. It's talking about leaders. It's not just talking about things you can see, right? It's talking about things you can see. The moon into blood. There's blood moons. There are blood moons. It shall come to pass that whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the salvation is the point of the pouring out of the Spirit. That's the point. We're seeing all of the signs that our eyes are supposed to see, our hearts are supposed to see. If we would it with God, he would tell us, salvation is what's on the agenda. Salvation is what's on the agenda for Israel. Salvation is what's on the agenda for Lighthouse. Salvation is what's on the agenda for Kalamazoo. It's what's on the agenda for your families. If you have eyes to see it, salvation is what's on the agenda. If you could be a prophetically anointed hesiter with God, if you could be a person that just chills out for a second. I love the way that Jonah prayed it. Mary Bethany wasn't trying to figure out when she was going to pour out the oil on Jesus' feet. She may not have even known that she was going to. She may have had an idea. This would be a beautiful thing for him. But what she was just doing was being with Jesus. And he made sure that it happened at the right time. And he's making sure everybody knows about it, even to this day. Okay. For in Mount Zion in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. So the Lord, he's working out a plan to deliver Israel, But that plan to deliver Israel is not separate from his plan to deliver you. That plan to deliver Israel is actually the doorway to all that's going to be saved. And we want to be a part of that door opening, okay? Now, this reference to Jerusalem, that's what it is, to Zion, is talking about the ends of the earth and its fullness. The salvation of the Gentiles into prophetic revelation and unity with Jesus is the jealous catalyst the Lord will use to deliver Israel. I'm going to say that one more time. The salvation of you into prophetic revelation and unity with him, is the jealous catalyst the Lord will use to deliver Israel. It's not you reading your Bible more. He's not going to send a telegram to people in Israel and be like, hey, Jonah just started reading his Bible more. Everything's back on track. But he will use Jonah and Caitlin in their desire to be a witness that you can it with God. He will use it as a witness to Israel, I guarantee it. But it's got nothing to do with what Jonah does, except to the extent that Jonah waits with God and does what God says. And I'm just using Jonah as an example because they're starting this house of prayer on Monday. That's true of all of us, all of us, right? The current lack of unity in the body of Yeshua is directly, entirely, because we're not watching and praying in the context Jesus requires. If we were hesitating with Jesus, we would have no people enemies at all. He's saving all of them. <laughs> He's desiring to save all of them. We were hesitating with Jesus. We'd have no fear, because what could stop the Lord? Who could snatch us from His hand? If He's for me, who could be against me? But we have fears, right? That's an invitation. That's like a, "Hey, come! Hey, come!" That's not a, "Oh, you got to fix that before I'm going to be happy with you. Before you're really faithful." That's what your flesh says. But what the Lord says is, "Hey, come closer. Look." There's a little distance between me and you. Let's snuggle up a little bit more. That's what he's saying to us when we recognize our fears. Our fears aren't something to be ashamed of. They're something to be used to bring to his feet and be like, God, there's something in between me and you. And I don't like it. You can't fix the fear. He paid for it. The glory is given to you already if you just receive it. Just be with him. So the current lack of unity in the body of Yeshua, and there's a lot. There's a lot of lack of unity right now. The body of Yeshua is dividing in a, in a weird way I've never seen in my entire life, and I've been in the church for 51 years. I've never seen the body of Jesus divided quite like it is right now. Where both, so there's, It's not like, okay, one side sinned, and it's caused this problem. Everybody thinks they're right. Is ever, could everybody possibly be right? None are right. According to Psalm 14, none are right. The only people that are right are the people hesitating with Jesus, and Jesus isn't fighting any of these people. None. He's not having any of these arguments. He's actually saying, look, I'm releasing the perfect conditions. I'm going to offer you to tribulation. Many are going to be offended. There will be betrayal, offense, love will grow cold. False prophets will rise up and fill that space and try to tell you how to make make sense of all this and go with them to build a a movement in a moment. But he's not doing any of that. Jesus isn't doing any of that. He's sitting on a throne at the right hand of the Father, waiting for all the enemies to be made footstools under his feet. He's saying, just come hang out with me. Let me tell you how to see you, how to see the people that bug you, how to see the people that make you happy. Do they make you happy because you're using them? Maybe they are. Maybe they just are everything you're hoping for, and maybe that's a problem for Jesus. Maybe he wants to be everything you're hoping for. You've got to learn to see both kinds of people right, because he sees everybody just right, just right. Communing with God about our world, including the news, Jerusalem, what the world is doing and timing. Okay, so communing with him just about these things, our world. Your world is much more than the news, but it includes the news. When you see the news, it with God. This side says this, I I know they're not right. This side says this, I'm assuming they're not right just because they agree with me and I know I'm not right. What are you saying, Yeshua? Do you know, you already know you're not right, but when you hear people that agree with you, you think they're right. That's ridiculous, right? I mean, you know you're not right. Why do you think people that agree with you are right? Well, it's because you don't like the idea of not being right and them saying it just kind of, the enemy's just like, maybe you're right. But you know you're not. If you were, you wouldn't have all this, these issues. So just it with Jesus. Maybe he likes both sides. Maybe he made them both. Maybe in his brilliant craziness, he decided to make people that you agree with and people you don't. He did. It's not even a maybe. So communing with him about that stuff, Jerusalem especially, what the Lord is doing, his timing, like asking him, when are you coming? You can, you can ask him that. It's okay to ask Jesus, when are you coming? It's okay to get an answer that you're like, I don't know if that was me or him, and believe it in faith, humbly saying, God, I might be wrong here. That's the way everybody who wrote the Bible did it. And if you don't do it, you're not actually hesitating with him about something that matters a ton to him that he wrote a lot about. So you'll hear people say, we don't, nobody knows what the end times are at all, so we don't pay any attention to any of these passages because they just divide. Let's focus on what matters. And he'd be like, it's the end of the story. It matters to me. Hesed with me. Why do you have to be right? Can't you just be with me? Can't you just be with him? And if you're not with him, you're not right. Nothing you do is right. So communing with God about these things, what he requires of us individually, is much different than praying for Israel. God, let me tell you what I think you ought to do for Israel. God, you did this for me. That's probably what you ought to do for Israel. That's not Hesed. That's you playing God, assuming that whatever's happened for you is what should happen for everyone else. Homogenizing everything into your experience, projecting onto everyone else what you feel. That's you being God. It's way different to be like, God, I don't know what to pray for. What are you praying for Israel today? Just because I thought you were praying something for Israel yesterday, maybe, you, maybe I misunderstood it a little bit. Maybe I've matured yesterday on Tuesday, and on Wednesday, I hear what you said different. And he'd be like, really, all I want is the hesed. So I'm going to do the Israel thing for sure. But if you hesitate with me, we'll do it. Wouldn't that be better if we did it? Because then you'd have a part of my inheritance forever, and I, that's really why I went to the cross. Was to, it wasn't because I needed you to do it. I just wanted to bring you in on what I was doing. Persecuted church, Israel, going to church, trying to be, all these things we could easily not hesed in and literally waste decades thinking everybody should do it like us, which you're seeing. You're seeing the fruit of that right now. You look at the IHOP struggle right now, you're seeing the fruit of a ton of impatience. And hesed is the answer. And there is in the center of it a hesed. In the center of it, there's people that are just like, I just got to hear what he's saying. I don't, I don't. The people that yell the loudest to tell you what to think they probably aren't listening to Jesus. He doesn't do that. Isaiah 42 says he does not do that. He doesn't have a PR campaign. He doesn't kind of hit the same talking points over and over and over until you forget any disagreement with him. That's what people do. If you do that too, you will miss him entirely because the entire world is going to go follow a world system that claims to be more righteous than listening to him and talking to him. And it's not. And it's happened already in the last you know, few years where a whole global idea of what's good want to make you feel bad about just praying and waiting with the Lord and trying to do what he said. I'm talking about COVID. You didn't know. Um, and now Israel, right? Now Israel. Whatever your opinion should be about Israel, you can, you can know what the world wants your opinion to be. Check in with the left, check in with the right. They keep saying the same thing over and over and over and over, over and over and over and over and over. Neither one of those are right. Neither one. Hesed with him, it's his nation. Isaiah 52, 5 to 8. Now, therefore, what have I here, says the Lord, that my people are taken away for nothing? Those who rule over them make them wail, says the Lord, and my name is blasphemed continually every day. Now, this is the, the passage that David just prayed over me before I started speaking. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Don't worry. People blaspheming God, it doesn't scare God one bit. It hurts them. And what he, the way he says it, this, when he says it this way, my name is blasphemed continually every day. He's not complaining. He's saying, open your eyes. Why do you listen to people that blaspheme me when they agree with you? Is it because you want to be agreed with? Are you willing to compromise me to be agreed with, is what he's saying. And yes, the answer is for you, yes. But it doesn't have to be. You could just be okay with nobody liking you. And him being the only one who made you knows you and likes you. But that will never be true. You could just be okay with that. I, you know, he, Elijah, he thought that was true for him. He's like, God, I'm the only one. Everybody else hates me. And God was like, no, that's not true, son. But why is that bothering you? God likes you. Why is that bothering you? So this is why he says this. My name is blasphemy continually every day. Why are you agreeing with people that blaspheme me? Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. He's saying when when they hear you, they're going to know it's me. If you hesed with me, when people hear you, they're going to know they're hearing me. They might not like it. They might not understand it. They might be like, that sounds so arrogant. You sound so confident. Well, people that hang out with God are confident. They are. They don't throw you maybes. They don't, they're not chest in the water to see if you like it or not. They just tell you what he said and they let it happen. You want to be a person like that. You want to be a person who knows you have the word of the Lord in humility, in faith, willing to be wrong about it, but unwilling to not be with God in it, right? You have to be with God in these things. That's that That's literally the way Noah built the ark. He had never built a boat before. He was not exactly sure that thing was going to float, and I, you know, I wouldn't either. If you're going to put all those animals on there, I'd be like, I don't know, God, is that enough space? Like, is that enough? I don't know. I don't know if Noah knew anything about the physics of flotation, but I would just be like, that's a. I mean, I'm assuming there's a lot of animals you're going to send. I don't know if it'll float or not. Looks heavy. I mean, it looks heavy to me when I went and visited the fake one. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, who says to the city of Jerusalem, who says to the Temple Mount, who says to the people of Israel, your God reigns. Why do you partner with people that blaspheme him? Your God reigns. Your God reigns. We can say this to IHOP. IHOP, why are you partnering with people that blaspheme him? Your God reigns. We can say it to Lighthop. Lighthop, why are you so worried about what people think about you? Your God reigns. It doesn't matter. Your God, Your God reigns. He's your friend. He made you. You're friends with God. What else matters? What else matters? Your watchman. Now, this is the message to Israel, but you can't proclaim that in confidence unless it's the message to you. Your watchmen shall lift up their voices. With their voices, they shall sing together. For they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. This is the focal point of unity. Your God reigns. I don't have to be right. You don't have to be wrong. We could actually wait and see what God says. Let him adjust our hearts. I know I'm wrong. I know I sin still. I know there's some places I don't feel confident. I know there's some places I'm afraid. I can just assume that's true for you too, but we're both trying to hear God. And over time, we could just be like, our God reigns. I mean, thank God he reigns. Thank God I don't. Thank God Sam doesn't. It would be better if Sam did than I did, but thank God neither one of us do. God reigns. God reigns. Now, this set of proclamations that when you look at that good news, the, the, he who brings good news proclaims peace. How many of you have read this passage before? How beautiful are the feet? How many of you thought, if, like me, oh, God needs to send some preachers over to Israel? I mean, I've prayed it probably, I bet you I've prayed 150 meetings here. God, raise up preachers just like Paul, just like Peter, send them to Israel. That's not exactly what he's saying. Okay, listen to this. This set of proclamations, it means so much more than our flesh initially sees. This isn't talking about an American evangelical concept. This is describing the holy and the worthy of Revelation 4 in the tabernacle of David. God, raise up people that will go there and declare your holiness. Not so anybody even hears it. They just declare it because it is who you are. Not so anybody's even convinced. They're convinced. That's what this is. Good news proclaims peace. Glad tidings of good things proclaims salvation. Who says, "Desire your God reigns"? You could only do that prophetically. You could only know God reigns by the Spirit. It's only because He died on a cross, gave up His Spirit, gave it to us, that we could even believe that that's true. God wants a tabernacle of David in Jerusalem. He wants a prophetic people that don't go there with an agenda. They are God's agenda. They go there because God's working on them. And it's not just getting on an airplane and going there. We're gonna, we get the privilege of getting on an airplane and going there. That's awesome. But that starts so much differently and is so much more important in the interior place of our heart and the way that it spreads out all over the whole world than it is in trying to, in the flesh, go do something for God. That's the danger, actually, of flying there is... Constantly being faced with the reality that you could do something for God, and what He's actually wanting is to do something for you. But that's true for all of us, no matter where we are. So the prophetic song or prayer brings brings a prophetic response. That's the point. That's That's what Acts 2, Joel 2 is. The prophetic song and prayer, the rending of the heart, the tearing of the garments, that brings forward a prophetic response. If you don't have a prophetic song, if you just have three songs that you picked out because you're like, hey, this is what I'm going to do for my prayer set or this is what I'm going to do for worship this morning. I think these will sound good. Let's just release them. That is never the prophetic witness that's going to bring the prophetic response. That will never make salvation happen. But not even knowing, no, I'm not telling you don't prepare. You can hear this in the flesh. You can hear this in the flesh, having no idea what God wants to do. Being faithful to ask him. Carry three songs into this place. Release them ready for him to speak more than you. That will elicit a response that will release salvation in the earth. It will. It's the the, the difference to the flesh is imperceptible. To the spirit, it's hesed versus you trying to do something. That's all that matters to God. That's all that matters to him. Now, you can, it's not even just being on the stage or being at a platform or with a mic in your hand. You can walk in this room and be like, I'll just go see what happ- what's happening. That's not hesed, right? Just think about it. I'll just go see what's happening there. I'm open to God. No, I'm coming to you, God. I'm going with you. I'm sitting there with you. What is happening? There's something happening because you're here. And if you're not, I'm leaving. Right? That's a prayer meeting. That's the only kind, that's literally the only kind of prayer meeting there is. But you can waste your time doing all the motions of people that don't hesitate. But all he wants is us. All he wants is us. So that prophetic song or prayer brings a prophetic response. A flesh song or prayer brings no yield. It will never yield. It, but people that don't know to watch for this or to it with him, they will never recognize the difference. And they might be like, that was amazing. I felt it. Did God feel it? That's what matters. Did God feel it? Romans, or Revelation 4, 8 to 11. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. So it's a whenever thing. The casting of the crowns, this is, the, this is my point. Now, you can take this the wrong way. You can think, I've never had a prayer meeting before because I never knew that and I didn't do it. You had lots of prayer meetings. God is he is so patient. He is so kind. He's so merciful. He believes in maturing. He believes in growing something. So don't think, I've never had a prayer meeting. Think, I never want to have another prayer meeting where I'm not sitting with him. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a difference. Your flesh, if we're getting into stuff that the enemy uses to turn people away from God. Don't let him. Let the Holy Spirit turn you into him. You have fears. Everybody has fears that we haven't been good believers or faithful or that we didn't know or that somebody's trying to mislead us. Those fears are the, the hessid points. That's where you go in, not out, Right? So don't hear this as, because I I said something bold and dramatic. You never had a prayer meeting unless you had this kind of prayer meeting. What does the Holy Spirit say when you chesed with him about that? I can tell you he'll agree with me, but he won't agree with the accuser of you. And I'm not accusing you. I'm telling you, he's invited me deeper, and it works. It really does work. But I've had lots of great prayer meetings where I didn't know any of this stuff. I've had lots of great prayer meetings where I told him stuff, planted a ton of seeds, and later he poured it out on me and said, okay, now, son, let's do this together. Let's do this together. That's all this is, is a, let's forget what's behind us, go forward, finish our race. But to do that, you've got to remember, like, you've come quite a ways, right, to forget what's behind you. You've come quite a ways. It's not like you're stuck at ground zero. But it's important to understand: whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks, then the twenty-four elders fall down. The the living creatures in Revelation four—they're made to see. They're literally covered with eyes. They have six wings. Their wings are covered with eyes. Eyes all over their bodies. These prophetic beings—they're seeing beings. When they see something about God and proclaim it, it causes worship. Our worship response to happen. That's the point. That's the foundation of the tabernacle of David. So without that. We are actually wasting our time, and there's better ways to waste your time than convincing yourself you're doing a ton of good things for God when you're actually not in the place where you're like, I just need to chesed with him. Chesed with him takes all of the pressure off. It actually is the place where you learn to hear God. You're never going to, by a sheer act of your will, hear God. You will. Not, I have to say that one more time. The Holy Spirit said, "Say that again." That rang like a bell through the heavens. You will never, by a sheer act of your will, hear God. It's impossible. It's only in His goodness, it's only in His generosity, only in His grace that you could hear Him. So when you take all of that off, you have a much more clear ability to be available to Him, to just wait with Him. Okay. Now, how do we watch? Timing, focus, and resting. These are the three things the Holy Spirit highlighted to me. Yesterday, I wrote this message yesterday, which is a rare thing for me to write a message the day before. And when I came back to him this morning, he said the only thing, I didn't know anything about hesed. I had never heard that term before. He said it to me this morning. He said, I want you to start with Jeremiah 2.2 2 and speak this hesed. He said, that's one of the seven thunders is hesed. 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 Maybe he'll teach me how to pronounce it. Timing. To know what to do. We must have a faith opinion about time, what time it is, what we're supposed to do with our time. Those are two different things, but they're the same thing, really. If you thought Jesus was about to walk through this door, I guarantee you wouldn't be distracted with anything else in your life. If I was like, three, three minutes, Lord, he's coming at 1147, we'd all be like, if we believed me, we'd be like, all right. I don't care about the bills. I don't care about my job. I don't care about my career. If he's walking through that door, It's on. So what you do with your time has a lot to do with what you think he thinks about the time. Okay? So timing. We have to know what to do. We must have to know what to do. We must have a faith opinion about time. Now, I'm not talking about doing nothing. I'm saying for you to know what to do, you have to have a faith opinion what he's saying about time. You might go to work differently tomorrow if you knew he wanted to do something different at your workplace. You might be like, you know, I'm just going to listen a little bit better to that lady who I would normally just walk by, but if the Lord highlighted that he wants to do something with her life tomorrow, I don't know what it is. I, don't, I can't do it, but I might just pay a little bit more attention because that's what he's told me he's paying attention to. I might walk into this room and if he's like, I'm highlighting something I want to do here. I might just be paying attention for it. I might notice Bible verses different if I'm paying attention to it just because he's like, there's something I want to do right now. Do you see this makes a prayer meeting way more interesting? It's like a treasure hunt. It's like, oh, I can, wa- I can feel what he's feeling. It's in faith, though. It takes faith. But I guarantee you, if you do it, you will notice more and more and more that your faith has a reward. It always has a reward. And you might notice sometimes that you're wrong, but the faith will still have a reward. That's been my experience, and that's what the Bible says. Okay, so the faith opinion about time, it has to lead us to risk. Everybody say risk. Our current flesh-informed timing. We have to be willing to risk what we think is most important right now. You have to. If you can't risk what you think is most important right now, you have no faith. You have made yourself God. You've made yourself the one who knows what's best right now, and you don't. Okay. So this is true for parenting. God, what are you saying about my kid? Like, What should I be watching for today? I hested with you. You see something I don't see. In faith, I'm believing it. All right, I want to watch for it with you. I want to speak into it. I want to believe for it. This makes a day meaningful. It's not a wasted day. It's not a Tuesday. It's not a Monday. It's a day that I'm waiting with the Lord. Now, you have, I don't know how many trillions of days ahead of you, right? I mean, infinite number of days ahead of you. So you can just go ahead and afford to reel it all back and worry about today. Let tomorrow worry about itself. It's got enough trouble of its own. Like, and this is where you find patience. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't hesitate with God about your future. You wait with him today about your future, but you don't start telling him what has to happen in your future. That's not hesitating with him, right? Your flesh will make all kinds of formulas. Okay, I don't take any responsibility for anything after this moment in time. Well, God is actually taking responsibility for moments after this. If you wait with him today, you'll actually be informed about later, but it's not you informing him, it's him informing you. That's way different. That's freedom. That's not anxiety. If he's telling you, I'm going to, or I'm not going to, then you no longer have to worry about what's going to happen. You could just hesitate in faith with him about that. That's freedom. That's, that's what this place is actually for as a corporate people. As a corporate people. And it's very easy to be like, well, what if that happens? What are we going to do with this? That's not hesitating. God says we need this. I'm watching for it. I'm believing for it. I'm going to stand on it, and maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but he likes the hesit of it. And sure enough, I could tell you so many times, in a group of people hesitating with God, he's told me things that we needed. He's told me what to do. He's told me, and I've been wrong. I mean, I've been wrong. But he likes the faith, right? So timing is very important. That's parenting, studenting. I didn't know the right way to say that. careering retiring. We're all tempted to not wait with him and still pray to him, at him. We all do that. We want to mature though. We want to give him what he wants. We want to give him confidence in his ability. We want to give him gratitude for his, he's made good plans for all of us. He's got good plans. When you're like, I'm not sure if it's good or not. That's saying, God, I think maybe your plans aren't good. That's saying, God, maybe you are not good. I don't take that the wrong way. We all do that, but he would be really pleased if we were like, "I just want to hassle with you, and I hassle with you. I remember you're good." And then I—that becomes so much less important. What I think might happen, and what you—I think you're saying—is going to happen becomes so much more important. I start to live a life of faith. I start to live a life of faith. That's what—that's the goal, right? That's why we're here. If it wasn't to live a life of faith, we would be completely wasting our time. Okay. Um, almost done. Matthew 6, 19 to 24, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, your treasure is where your heart is. So you might be like, I don't have any money, so I'm A-plus on that one. That's my, you know, David saw that list of checkboxes. A-plus, don't have any money, I didn't store my treasure on earth. That's not what that means. Your treasure is where your heart is. Where are you storing your heart? Where are you storing your heart? Where are your worries? Where's your fear? Where's your uncertainty? That's where your treasure is. So if you put all of this with the Lord, you will do things differently on earth. Don't take this the wrong way. This is not a, like, get out of jail free for you being selfish about money or whatever. This is a, if you store your treasure where your heart is, you pay attention to where your heart is, you will store your treasure in the right place, and it will go good for you both in heaven and on earth. It really will. And I don't mean you'll have a lot of money or you won't. I mean, it'll go good for you. It'll go good for you. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Now, you might hear this in the flesh and think, okay, I'm not going to look at anything bad. Well, that would be impossible because there's only one good one. So you can't cut out enough stuff to make your eye good. You can only put your eye on the good one. That's it. Lord, let let that into our hearts where we're so afraid of what we see. We're so afraid of what we think that you're not. Lord, We just give us a freedom to walk out of all the things we try to do for you and into what you want to do for us. In Jesus' name. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light is in, do you see how you could actually, not hesed, try to put your eye on good things, tell yourself that's light, and he'd be like, that is so dark. Because it's not a hesed with me, it's just a fear. You're literally just deciding where to put your eyes based on fear. That's darkness. Put your eyes on me, and I will guide you to the light. More and more and more. Glory to glory, strength to strength. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and the world. You can't serve both. And we try to serve this world by trying to make it better. This world isn't going to be better. He's rescuing people off of this planet right now. You don't have to move anywhere. You don't need a change of address. You need your heart in a different place. But this world is unsalvageable. He's going to renovate it with fire. He's going to rinse it with fire. It's not going away. It's beautiful. I mean, he made it just right. It's just he's not going to fix it here fix it there and tweak it here and tweak it there. He's going to let it grow brand new just like you. He's going to let it be rebirthed just like you. And if you try to hang on to a little bit of old you and be like, okay, everything else fixed, but that little part, that was pretty good. He'd be like, no, you can't be mine. I have to completely rebirth you. Same is true of planet Earth. He's not done with it. He just, if you love the world and the things of it, you're of the devil. That's, the, that's why the devil did everything. He loves the world. He wants it for himself. Matthew twenty five fourteen to 19. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, and to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them. He risked something and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received the two gained two more also. But he who had received the one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Which one didn't hesitate? The one who dug the hole in the ground. The other two were like, hey, we hung out together. He told me something. I want to do what he said. I'm just going to do what he said. Matthew 24, 44 to to 51. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? whom his master made a ruler over his whole household to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Is this the fullness? Like if he finds people that, you know, we inter- I, I interpret this personally. You can interpret it with the Lord however you desire. I interpret this to mean food. I live on every word God speaks. That's what Jesus said about food. And due season timing. Giving the other servants the right truths at the right time, right? So let's just assume... That we did this, like, this is hesitating, right? This is spending time with him. I forgot what I was going to say, so I kind of made something up in the middle there, but it didn't work. All right, I thought I'd catch it again, but I missed it. Okay, so surely I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come in a day when he's not looking for him and in an hour that he's not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him as portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the Holy Spirit just reminded me. Okay, so if you're, if you're giving the other servants the right food at the right time right now, is that the fullness of what it will be when Jesus returns? No, but it's the faithfulness to do it now, to learn to abide with him, that when he comes in glory, when you carry the more glorious thing, you won't be tempted to let people worship you for it, right? That's what he's looking for. He's looking to raise up people that can rule and reign with him for a 1,000 years. And so we do that by doing it now, but it's weak. The point is it's weak. It's in faith. It's, it's what I think he's saying, but don't, don't put any weight on me. Put the weight on him. Like, I was just hesitating with him. This is what I feel like he's saying. But I guarantee you, even this message that I'm preaching to you right now, I will see it personally. Hopefully I won't say it's wrong. I might. But I will see it differently in a couple months. I will look back at what I said because he's going to test me with the things I'm telling you. (laughs) He's so faithful to do this. He's going to make me eat these words. And in a couple of months, I'm going to look back and be like, whoa, that was way more true than I thought, God. So don't listen to this like, this is, oh, this is what it is. No, this is, I just hesitated with him. He told me this. Now we all got to decide how this lives out, how this works out, if you want to, but you don't have to. You can do whatever you want. Now, this is where I'm going because this is what he said to me. Okay, now be focused. Resisting the distraction of dead works of the flesh. Dead works are a false witness to salvation, not a helpful companion to it. You might think to yourself, I want to prophetically agree with Jesus. I want to do what he tells me to prophetically. But in the meantime, I'm also going to do what the rest of the church thinks is a great idea. I'm going to care about the widows and orphans. I'm going to care about the abortion stuff. And I'm just going to do those things the best I can. And then I'll wait on him. But you have to realize dead works are a false witness. The only witness that will save are the hesed works. The spent time with him works. So your soul, if it's anything like mine, feels really lame if other people are doing all these amazing things for the Lord, and I'm just sitting here waiting on him. But there's a lot of stories in the Bible about this, and we have to believe them. We have to believe there's one thing required, never taken away. There is literally one thing that he wants. And if you're a witness of you can do both things, you can serve the world and God, you can't. It's impossible. So don't serve the world at all. Now, that doesn't mean you have to disagree with the way the world is hesitating and trying to serve God. There's a lot of works done for widows and orphans and, I'm sure, cleaning dishes and households that were born from hesitating, from hanging out with God. But don't let yours be those born not from that. Don't let yours be born from jealousy or shame. We'll leave that at that. Okay, so that's focus. Okay? So any attempt to help God, item D, apart from what he's directing me to do, is called a dead work. God's ways are different than man's. His timing is different. His goals are different than man's. Resist the distraction of dead works for the flesh, of the flesh. Guilt and shame, especially in church communities that don't spend time trying to hear God together, drive people to try to perform godly-looking service instead of God-directed service. There's a huge difference. Dead works are a false witness to salvation, not a helpful companion to it. And I give you a bunch of verses in the notes about that. Probably all of them I've read. In this room, whether in a prayer meeting or here in a song, a hundred times this year. So resting, this is the third part, resting in the leadership of the Lord looks like a dead work to the world or flesh. So timing, focus, getting our eyes off of dead works and onto the, the Lord so that he can direct us into what's real and resting, timing, focus and resting. This is how you watch with the Lord. Resting in the leadership of the Lord looks like a dead work to the world or flesh, but that is where life is. No one ever sat before God and then went on to waste their lives. No, it's never happened. No one has ever sat before the Lord and went on. Now, a lot of people, though, have told everybody, I'm just going to go be alone with the Lord because I don't want to do that thing. And they didn't hesitate with the Lord. They just used the Lord as an excuse to not take responsibility for saying what was true in the situation or dealing with conflict or whatever it was. That's not what I'm talking about. No one has actually come to the Lord and said, Lord, I want to know what you know, feel what you feel, see what you see, and then not done anything with their lives. It's never happened. It will never happen. He made us to be with us. Jesus prayed for it. That's why he went to the cross. You have to, in faith, believe this. But the truth is, you can afford to wait with the Lord. That sounds good. You can afford to wait with the Lord. I'd put that on a little sign right now. God is the author and finisher of life and faith. Faith produces a life of good works, a whole life of it, profitable works, fruitful works. Revelation three one to two, the angel of the Lord uh, to, and to the angel of the Lord of, and to the angel of the church in Sardis. Right, so I say the angel of the Lord. It's because it's in red. I keep thinking of Jesus wrote this. I want to say that these things says he was the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works that you have a name that you are alive. People think your works are amazing. But you're dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. He wants no compromise, no commingling of chesed works and dead works. He wants a witness on the earth that God saves, not you. He wants a witness on the earth that God saves, not your church. He wants a witness on the earth that God saves, not America's military, not America's political system. He wants a witness on the earth that God saves, not your money, not your wisdom, not the way you handled things. He wants a witness on the earth that God saves. God saves your kids. God saves your money. God saves your meaning. He saves your identity. He saves your history. He saves your story, not you, not you. God is unimpressed with public approval, fleshy momentum, and dead works that preach a weak God who needs people to do stuff. He hates it. He hates that the world is confused and thinks that he's trying to recruit an army to go take over the world. He's not. He's already done it. God isn't in need. He isn't trying to build a workforce. He's willing to save us from vain striving. Man can't save man, and God will never let us. God likes faith. That was the test of COVID. Can man get it together, care about other people, and save man? And I want to tell you, the church failed miserably. Man cannot save man. And throwing off all restraint isn't what I'm saying. Rebelling against the government, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is believing man can't save man, but I can afford to do what God says, which is respect authority. We failed. Can we admit it? We need to. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean you failed all the time in everything. It means God didn't get the witness that he was looking for. Because if he did, he'd be here. He doesn't, he's, he's waiting for us to yield. Do you know that? We can hasten the day. He's waiting on us. But not to do anything, right? That's, it's dangerous water. Okay, God isn't in need. Jesus did more waiting on the Lord than any other human has ever done. Steph, you want to come back up? Jesus did more waiting on the Lord than any other human has ever done. To be with him requires following him in the same choice of strength. Listen to this. Jesus did more than any other person's ever done. Is that hard to believe? No. We, we believe that, right? We come to church because that's true. There's like, a, I don't know how many churches, a billion churches everywhere. Because people believe Jesus actually did a lot. But he waited on the Lord. He literally he has his testimony, and that's that John five nineteen to 20. He says, I can't do anything of my own accord, but I want you to hear this one. This is the disciple, John, who testifies to these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. Do you amen that? Stand with me. Do you believe that this is the way to do everything that your flesh would tell you you should be doing? Is to just has it with the Lord, to just be with Him. Now, I was with Him this morning when He told me this stuff. He touched me in a unique way, and I noticed that as soon as He, died, I'm like, God, let me not get out of this moment because I know my heart. I know myself. When the Lord encounters me powerfully, one of the first things I start to think of everything that has to get done. You, are, anybody else like that? And I noticed two minutes later, I was in the kitchen and I was sitting in my living room with the Bible open in my lap, and I'm like, How did I end up in the kitchen? We pull away before God does. That's the point. We, His glory is overwhelming in a way we can't even. A lot of times, perceive. But He wants to give you more. He wants to give you more this morning. So we'll just open our heart right now, Holy Spirit. Would you come? We just want to be with you, which has become so many songs, God, so many statements that aren't really abiding statements. So much enthusiasm, but so little resting, God. I'm asking for freedom to fall on this place right now. You're so gentle. You're like a dove. You light like a dove, Holy Spirit. I'm just asking for freedom to fall, that we'd receive this in faith. Some of you, he's called you to to do something. He called you. It wasn't your vain idea and now you've run ahead of Him in so many ways just come back he's not disappointed he knew that would happen you didn't know what would happen he knew it what happened just come back just it with him some of us were like he's done I did everything I was supposed to do he's like I kept going and you're you're back there come on Just say to your soul, Come on, soul. Why are you downcast? Hope in God. Literally say that. I just heard the Holy Spirit say that. Literally say, Come on, soul. Why are you downcast? I clearly didn't do everything I was supposed to do, I wouldn't be alive. Holy Spirit, right now, just your timing, your step, your cadence, your focus, what you're looking at. Lord, the rest of your heart. Some of you, your flesh is screaming at you. If you don't do something, no one else will. It's not true. God will. It's not true. I break that off in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, release your glory in this room. The glory that you gave Yeshua, you gave it to us. Let us see it. Let us see that glory of being loved, being cherished by the Father, that the same love God has for Jesus, he has for Russ and for Barbara. He has it for Abigail. He has it for Tim. He has it for Angie. He has it for Paula, Jonah, Samantha. The same love he has for Jesus, Mary, and he's got for you. Jen and Tom and Noah, Ruth, David, Alice, Annie, Dane, Elisha, Steph, Alia. He's got the same love he has for Jesus. That's the glory given. That's the glory given. It's just, that's it. It's love and action. Holy Spirit, release love and action in this room in Jesus' name.